Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Fratelloni's Ace Hardware and Garden Stores brings you Garage Logic Podcast number 316, February 4th, 2020. I don't remember this, but it was 51 degrees on this day in 2005 and 28 below in 1886. And now, from the mayor's office above the boathouse on the east shore of Spoon Lake, it's Garage Logic with working on production. Chris Reavers, director of social media, John Hyde in the newsroom, and occasionally Kenny from the Krabby Coffee. Here is your flashlight king, fireworks commissioner, and keeper of common sense, your mayor, Joe Sushman. Say later in the podcast today, we're going to be joined by Dr. Mike Osterholm from the University of Minnesota, where he is a Regents Professor and the McKnight Presidential Endowed Chair in Public Health and the Director of the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy, SIDRAP. Uh, He's your go-to guy in this country for infectious diseases, and uh, I thought it might be interesting to get his views as to the potential of the coronavirus becoming a pandemic. You know what a pandemic is? Worldwide. It's an epidemic that goes worldwide. Yes, sir. And uh, he'll be joining us later in the show. Excellent. I'm looking forward to that. I can can tell you what I'm looking forward to from you. What is that? Just a competent board work. Okay. And uh, no health jokes. No uh, no virus. Can't do any of your bits. Okay. None of your bits. None of your bits. Try to refrain. We're all, uh, (laughs) we're all, uh, we can't, we don't know where to be on Iowa. We're all gobsmacked. (laughs) These poor hypocritical saps who warn about climate change have been flying in and out of Iowa for two years, eating gravy and biscuits and pretending to be normal people, (laughs) and now they don't even have any results. It's just amazing. It's a truly amazing story. This should put an end to Iowa getting this attention every four years. This is ridiculous. You would think so, wouldn't you? You you would hope so. Uh, And I don't know where to begin. It's just incredible what's happened there. Uh, I have said for years, and we're going to... Uh, join this again this topic after uh, we talk to uh, Dr. Osterholm but I've been saying for years and I have never figured out how to how to state it articulately uh, something's up with voting in this country that we've we, we have there are too many cooks now trying to fix what isn't broken right uh, suddenly a, a simple, charming caucus system that's been in the books for 100 years uh, went to a three-fold reporting device involving an app on a phone, and the app backfired, and that doesn't work. These are the people who want to run your health care. 
The left wants to run your health care. They can't run a caucus. <laughs> Uh, well, this you... is from uh, 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 Downing. Uh, no, I, I don't want that one right now well, from well, Downing. Well, let me ask you something. What, would you prefer primaries over caucuses, or do you like, or do you like the caucus system? I, I think the reason Minnesota went to a primary is to avoid just what happened in Iowa. Sure. Dump the caucuses. Uh, Brian writes they had one job in Iowa. Right. One job. And the, the, the responses that we're getting from— And they from... want to run this country. The left wants to run this country. Yeah, the techies said, we knew this was going to happen. Well, this is so important. Why would they let this happen? There was also Republican caucusing down there, and this would have affected that if we didn't already know the outcome, right? Probably. Yeah, well, Trump Trump became the big winner. Sanibel Jim, and he had to throw in the five-day weather forecast for Sanibel, uh, (laughs) notes that he foolishly stayed up until midnight Florida time to see the Iowa results. Uh, as was said repeatedly on the Talking Head Network news show, so they want their party to be in charge of federally run health care system. But then our little Amy realized that she should run out and be the first to give a speech like she won. That might have been smart. So she did that soon after yeah. all the other leftists realized they had been outmaneuvered by Amy. Yeah. <laughs> they all faked winning speeches and had their clones cheering and waving hate Trump signs. What a joke. The national media, CNN, kept repeating what she had to say about being chained to her desk in Washington when she wanted to be in Iowa. (laughs) Joe, you are spot on about the political class that none of the CNN fools, for example, could restrain themselves from mirroring the politicians' fake victory speeches. I could take no more after midnight. Now they are all gone to New Hampshire on their private jets, certainly not wanting to attend the State of the Union address tonight. Why would they do that to to see someone they hate so much just because it's their job? Hell no. Your political uh, observation about the political class is spot on. Uh, And then he says, P.S., where in the hell does Royce get his weather information? Rainy and cold. Is he living in an alternative universe? I always laugh. He's as accurate as the Weather Channel folks when he gives gives his weather report. So, in other words, <laughs> Pat says it's been rainy and cold, and Sanibel says it's uh, says Sanibel says it's great. Now to Downing. You mentioned Harry and Meghan expecting uh, the public employees protecting them to be their servants. You then talked at length about how our own political class expects to be able to draw a paycheck without doing their jobs and how they expect the public to provide everything for them and how they think they can do as they wish and how they think they are better than us common folk. Essentially, our political elite have come to see themselves as a sort of American royal family. Without a doubt. I think he's correct. I think he's correct. Now, uh, as the Iowa situation... You got to call into Hauser, right? Yes, he's still in Iowa. We might hear from him uh, later. Uh, all these reporters are in Iowa uh, to make this even curiouser and curiouser. Uh, and this has been—I waited till it got reported on enough sites that I could find it uh, to be credible. The app blamed for Iowa's stalled Democratic caucus results was slapped together by an alum of Hillary Clinton's failed 2016 presidential campaign. Gerald Namira, CEO of Shadow Inc., the company tapped by the Iowa Democratic Party to build an app for reporting the results of the crucial first-in-the-nation caucus, served as director of product on Hillary Clinton's Clinton's 2016 campaign. As of early today, the Iowa Democratic Party still has not released the results of the chaotic caucus. 
Shadow's role in building the app was not publicly known before the failed rollout. And apparently it wasn't tested. I read that the Department of Homeland Security volunteered to test it, and the Iowa Democratic Party said, nah, that's not necessary. Uh, precinct chiefs, uh, precinct chairs across the state experienced problems downloading or logging onto the app. Uh, one of the ways they were supposed to be able to send the results from their smaller individual caucuses to the party. That's according to Bloomberg News. <clears throat> the changes that were made to the caucus this year were in response to criticism from the Sanders campaign. In 2016, <laughs> Dr. Karen Kadrowski, director of the Cat Center for Women and Politics at Iowa State University and an expert on caucus history told the New York Post of the app's commissioning and rollout. The app, Kudrowski contends, was supposed to be one of multiple fixes made to the caucus process after the Sanders campaign challenged certain procedures from 2016 as unfair. You could uh, you could log in, the app would be secure, and you could report your results without having to wait on the phone to submit, she said, of what the app was promised to do. Kudrowski added that along with the app's failed rollout, sheer incompetence from the state added to the mess. Okay. This is incredible. The company, which initially built the app to simplify and streamline the process of reporting results in Iowa counties, also counts the Nevada Democratic Party as a client. Nevada is the next state that will hold a caucus. If that's true, why did they all race to New Hampshire, John? Yeah, yeah right. I don't, know. That, that, I don't think that's right. The Iowa Democratic Party paid Shadow Inc. more than $60,000 for website development relating to the app, according to state campaign finance records. Amid the fallout from the caucus chaos, a spokesman for acronym, I don't even know what that's an acronym for, uh, tried to distance the company from Shadow Inc., merely saying that they invested in the tech firm. Acronym is a nonprofit organization and not a technology company, Spokesman Kyle Tharp said in a statement, as such, we have not provided any technology to the Iowa Democratic Party presidential campaigns or the DNC. Tharp went on to say that acronym invests in numerous for-profit companies. One of those independent for-product companies is Shadow Inc., which also has other private investors. Acronym says we build power and modern infrastructure for a new progressive movement. So they're... Last year, Acronym said in a press release that it was launching Shadow. Somebody said they're launching Shadow to harness, integrate, and manage data across the platforms and technologies. Well, it didn't work. You still want to vote on your phone, Kenny? No, I've come around to your way of thinking. (laughs) Uh, You're right. We need to do this uh, paper the old school way. By the way, it's Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada. South Carolina, Alabama, and so on. So and New so Hampshire forth. is next. Yeah. Okay, so and all the climate change warriors uh, fired up their private jets and jets and raced to New Hampshire. And my my main question to myself, I don't even think I asked you this off the air, is why all the hand wringing and why does it matter whether or not we know the results uh, last night or today at noon or tomorrow at noon? And as it turns out, this is what they call a momentum killer, uh, and there's evidence of that. Four years ago. 
Um, Clinton's narrow victory over Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont was not clear until early the next morning after delays. And in 2012, this is where it gets interesting, and I didn't know this, Republican state party officials declared a split decision only to reveal more than two weeks later that former Senator Rick Santorium of Pennsylvania had narrowly won a delay that robbed him of momentum that he could have taken mm-hmm. into New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. So it truly does matter to these candidates. Oh, yep. uh, They've um, lived for this for two years. Um, They've getting, wasted their lives. Getting the results out instantly right away that night. But that's where the follow your money is. What do you mean? CNN wants these right away. Um MSNBC, Fox, they all want instantaneous results, and that's what's making this new movement of absentee ballots, digital voting, all that stuff, as opposed to we do it this way. So you think that's what's driving it? I think that's a big force driving Driving those other factors, like absentee, because they can count those ballots before? Yes, and I also think it's the, the, the Democrats and the Republicans that both want instant results. I want to know five minutes from when the polls close how we did in the guise of pretending to not disenfranchise anyone uh secretaries of state in particular around the country have been involved in complicating unnecessarily complicating an american tradition of voting uh, extending it, uh, trying to make it earlier, uh, providing different platforms. Uh, uh, so well, uh, I need advice then from Accommodating you. you, not having to actually go and vote on voting day. Well, that's, right. Stop right there because yeah. that's where my question lies. And what do you have to say to all of the million GLers, men and women, who this fall, November 3rd, are going to be in the woods 500 miles away from home because they're at deer camp. What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to turn around and drive back just to vote that day? No. The, the uh, Why, What's wrong with an absentee ballot or, or voting a week earlier no, or a month no, earlier? Uh, absentee ballots have proven to be credible, and I've never said that you shouldn't go deer hunting. I've, that's never been my position. Uh, my position is that uh, I, I have to draw the line somewhere. And I'm drawing it up beyond absentee balloting. I'm, I'm providing absentee. If I'm the king, you get to have an absentee ballot. Uh, then you could, I suppose, argue about the philosophical and ideological reasons you might want one. I don't know. Does deer hunting pass the muster or going to tend to your sick grandma in Dallas? I don't know what the answer are is. You worried to about, that. Are you worried about people who, even though they live across the street from the polling place, are going to get an absentee ballot and vote a week early because they don't want to be a part of the mayhem on... Is that wrong I'm not, in your mind? I'm not worried about that. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that they've been sold a bill of goods. I'm concerned that they've been sold on the idea that uh, we're trying to make voting for you... Uh, we're, we're trying to lighten your burden. We're trying to lighten your load. So we're going to come up with these millions of different ways that you can vote. And the, the, long, the, the long look at it would be the more ingredients you throw in the stew the more chance there is it to be fouled up at some point. Okay, so what what is one of the, the biggest worries? Is it the lines around the corner that you only see in India or Pakistan? Because every time I voted in the last 
20 years, I have never run into a line oh, around the corner. Wasn't it Obama's first term that the lines were so long? The last couple of elections are both yeah. in major but areas. Every, but, but so what? Yeah, so what? Yeah, so if, you, if you're if you're an, a, a black guy and you get the chance to vote for a black guy for president, I think you'd sit in line for six hours. The left plays. My neighbor Dave did. Yeah, see, <laughs> the left yeah. plays a socioeconomic card. Oh, you don't have a car, or you might not have a phone. Or well, you can you, usually watch you, your polling place. You don't place. have a home computer, or you don't have a ride. Uh, and, and they've just they've just pandered and become obsequious to the people who they pres. Well, you're seeing it in other walks of life. Mm-hmm. Let's forgive light rail transit fares. Mm-hmm. Let's give you a voucher to fix your busted taillight. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about that overdue library book. The left ruins everything it touches. Right. It ruins everything it gets near. The one I don't understand. And what, what it corrupts is discipline and personal responsibility. <laughs> and so now you've got a situation in Iowa were these hypocrites who've been flying in and out of there for two years, desperate, desperate to eat 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 coffee cake and have pie? Uh, they they have they've got nothing to show for it. Nothing. Well, they've been they've been undone by their own kind. Amy was smart. <laughs> Get a camera in here. I'm going to declare victory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was smart. Buttigieg essentially did the same thing. <laughs> he, I saw his speech. He basically, I thought he won the presidency as, oh, I, yeah. as I watched Hey, it. thank you, people. Was he clasped both oh, hands was, together yes. over his head? <laughs> over his shoulders, right? Hey. Well, and to show you the electorate, there's a great video. Uh, it's not worth playing, but it's a woman uh, at a caucus. Saying, I want my, I want my card back, meaning her piece of, I didn't know Buttigieg was gay. Oh, no. People told me he was married. Oh. And, and the caucus uh, leader is trying to say, well, he is married. Yeah, but he's not married to a woman. I want my money back. I want my card back. Why are you even there, you dumb, prematurely gray-haired dummy? Right. Why are you even there? You don't even know what the hell you're doing. Well, I didn't know he was married to a guy. I can't have that be my president. Oh, and the, and the caucus person is saying, he's a human being just like you. And she's going, oh, no. Just for that lady alone. It would be awesome if he won just for that lady alone. I'd love that. Uh, the one area where I, I, do, uh, I don't I do understand, I guess, is the, the big pushback from the left on ID, presenting your ID at the polling place. I don't understand why, do I. why that is such a major issue. Well, I guess I do understand why. But well, I, they accuse. The right of 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 using that as a means to disenfranchise people. How can it? You well, need ID to do virtually everything right, in life. Right. right, exactly. Even if you don't drive a car, you should have a state ID. Well, for, it's just it's just pathetic, and you're seeing the results of this. There, uh, I think the Iowa Democratic Party has successfully taken Iowa out of the national picture. Who who in their right name? Who in their right mind would want to go through this again in four years? And they'll say, well, it's all fixed now and it's all cleaned up and we're going to have it all. No, no, you know, you blew it. You blew it big time and you're, you should be gone now from the national stage. Plus, four years from now, the technology is going to be all changed. Four years in technology years is a lifetime. Mm-hmm. But now the whole system is streamlined and quick because now it's one every week. So now they're all going, they're rushing to New Hampshire now and then they'll rush out to uh, Nevada and. And et cetera, and it won't be as painful as Iowa has been for the last two years. Mandy McClure, 
communications director for Iowa's state Democratic Party, said, we found inconsistencies in the reporting of three sets of results. So what needs to be examined objectively is what compelled you to believe you needed three verifications of a vote? What what that right. makes oh, no right. sense. Right. right. Something must have occurred. Something that Bernie bitched about in twenty sixteen <laughs> that I, I can't pin down. I can't pin down. But what what see what I mean? You fix something that wasn't broken. Right. You, you walked into the room and started rebuilding furniture that was perfectly solid. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You didn't need to mess. Why did you mess around with something that is so simple? What's the phrase, Such, that we like to say? If it's not broken, it, uh, if it's not broken, break it and fix the hell out of it. Well, that's what they've done. That's what they've done. And in fixing the hell out of it, they've completely ruined it. It's just an amazing. It's an amazing glimpse. I don't even know what it's a glimpse of. Uh. It's not a glimpse of the mystery necessarily. It's not it's even trying a... too hard. It, it, it's it's really it's trying too hard and trying to be what's the word officious? No, they're officious. Trying to seem useful, and they're not. No. Coding errors. Yeah, who, guys like us, we don't know. Kenny, what that go ahead and break that down for us. Well, yeah, <laughs> tell no me how idea. to write some code. <laughs> Sounds like a cheap code if you got it for 60 G. Well, that's what all the techies there are saying. 60 grand, I could have predicted that. Look it up. I just turned our TV in here to CNN, Such, Look at CNN's running a countdown clock. Oh my We're God. at three hours, 39 minutes until we find out the result. They look as foolish as Iowa. <laughs> yes, don't they, they do. Yeah. Yes, they Johnny do. Johnny Hyde found a great line on Twitter. Did anybody unplug Iowa and then just plug, plug it back it. in? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, help me. I've got a nice... Uh, By the way, they're keeping that countdown clock up during the commercials. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just in case. This is, this is like sending man to the moon. <laughs> well, they're making you know, it you know seem like that. Is, you know what else this has done? Uh, it essentially has pretty much rendered the results meaningless, right? Follow my logic. If they can't... Why should we believe these results? You're telling me you can't verify them. You've complicated this, the, the recipe by involving three different stop points or mm-hmm. action checks or, you know, ground zero tabulations or whatever the hell you're babbling about. Why, <laughs> why in the world should anyone believe what I, they come up with? I did talk to a fellow in the men's room who said since they weren't sure, this should make it more uh, that it is correct, if that makes sense. Well, I it, disagree with whoever you talk to in the you, men's You know room. who I talk to. I told you. What do you yeah. mean? Uh, that, <laughs> that rather than go forward last night with what they had, if they had done that, then they'd have, you know. They'd have no, results? They'd have no excuse. The people would immediately say, well, this is, you know, screwed up and wrong. Right. He said, so really their only option since it was screwed up was to do this. And but this smacks right. of arranging a winner. Yeah. This smacks of chicanery. How could it not? Well, or what are they withhold? What don't they know yet? What didn't they know at uh, nine o'clock or ten o'clock last night? And and how are they going to find the results now if their software wasn't working properly? You go to Acme High School, <laughs> you get a piece of paper, yep. 
Get a pencil. There you go. Start putting down slides. Put down, put down. Pete. Yep. yep. You go hand it to somebody, <laughs> and you go home and you watch The Bachelor. Boom. Boom. Done. Boom. <laughs> oh, we gotta have apps. Ooh. We gotta have apps and coding and. Uh, yep. Uh, well, the whole double, triple dares. And- A little side note, by the way. Uh, when 7 o'clock hit and George Stephanopoulos popped on the screen in ABC, yeah. uh, there were three individuals in my home that were extremely nervous <laughs> that they were going to miss The Bachelor <laughs> oh, in order to get geez. these results. But That's uh, a pathetic geez. commentary. I your, went to bed at 7.05 last night. Pathetic commentary. Yes. Uh, although it was out of my house. I don't watch it. I, 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 it's a show about prostitution, isn't it? <laughs> it's uh, basically, 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 yeah. basically yeah. a show about hookers. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> a show about one lucky guy. Not quite as bad as building off the grid, but that's a whole different right. topic. That's a whole different topic. <laughs> How about building off the grid, the Bachelor edition? <laughs> Dr. Mike Osterholm, Regents Professor, McKnight Presidential Endowed Chair in Public Health and the Director of the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy, SIDRAP, at the University of Minnesota, will be joining us uh, to discuss his concerns about the growing threat of the coronavirus. Here's a man who spends hours in hardware stores, sifting through the nuts and bolts of life, Joe Souchere. We're good to go with Dr. Osterholm? Uh, one minor change here, yep. All right. Tell me when. He has a my furrowed brow. You're scaring me, Matthew. Phone. Here we go. Yes, we're good to go. Mike? Doc? Oh, boy. Michael. Hey there. How you doing? There Hi, Mike. You are Regents Professor McKnight Presidential Endowed Chair in Public Health and Director for Center of Infectious Disease Research and Policy, SIDRAP, at the University of Minnesota. Thank you. Mike, before we start, I know you have a view on this. What? What is? What is? How do you view your role in the world of public health as opposed to a hands-on doctor that mom takes the kids to? Uh, as public health practitioners, we're kind of like the, uh, you might say, the weathermen that uh, work at your local weather station that basically are trying to uh, predict what's going to happen tomorrow, the next day, and the next day based on what we know happened yesterday and years before. And so in our role in public health, uh, we're really there, we, I call the pump pullers. We base uh, what we know on that kind of past and future prediction issue to try to prevent these diseases from occurring. And what I mean by pulling the pump is that that's the famous uh, story about Jon Snow back in the 1860s when many people in London were coming down with cholera long before we understood that bacteria caused the disease. But he was able to demonstrate that the people who were getting sick were those who were primarily using one well that was contaminated, Mm -hmm. and uh, they wouldn't stop using it. So he went literally in the dark of night and pulled the pump handle in uh, such a way that they couldn't use the well for some time, and the outbreak stopped. So, you know, the physician out there is there to see you when you get sick and to take care of you. Our job is to keep you from never having to go to the physician. On, the world, state, on the world stage right now, what concerns you the most, flu or coronavirus? Well, clearly the coronavirus does in the sense that um, this is really unfolding in what we call a pandemic potential, meaning a worldwide epidemic where this disease could show up in many countries. 
um, it's being transmitted very much like influenza in the terms of the dynamics. It's, it's very readily moving from person to person. It's crossing boundaries easily. Um, and so that regard, it's, it's a serious challenge. But what makes it really uh, kind of the extra concern is that the uh, number of people who require uh, very, very uh, sophisticated medical care and then in many cases dying uh, puts us into kind of a category of its own. Um, right now, the best estimate we have out of China is that if you compare this to a bad flu season, uh, the deaths we're seeing with this virus are 20 to 30-fold that of, of the flu season. So uh, long-term, uh, as it spreads around the world, we could really see almost like a, what we've talked about with influenza pandemics, this new strain of influenza that could occur. Now it's actually a coronavirus that's doing it, uh, but very similar to what we worried about with influenza. The Dateline Beijing, uh, I'm reading the uh, death toll has risen to 425 with the number of cases now standing at more than 20,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and let me just tell you that these case numbers actually mean very little in a way. Uh, because all of these are just grab samples of the actual population that's infected. To be called a case today, you have to be tested. Mm-hmm. And there's been a very, very limited amount of testing available because the government of China, as well as our own country, are now just trying to basically build or devise these test kits that can be used. And so we have many examples of people who are turned away from hospitals, healthcare facilities, dying at home, even dying on the street. Uh, with this infection for which uh, they can't be called a case because they were never tested. So the guesstimates right now would suggest that just in Wuhan itself, there may be well over 100-plus thousands of cases that are not being tested that um, uh, if they were, the numbers would be dramatically different than we even see now. What would a pandemic mean to Minnesota? Well, first of all, we'd be in the soup like everyone else, and our healthcare facilities uh, could be really uh, stretched to the max. Meaning that um, you know the everyday care of patients today is one that's a challenge because we we have no real excess capacity in healthcare just because of the financing they can't. Mm-hmm. And so you add on even a slight increase in the number of people requiring. Uh, hospital care, and particularly when it's really kind of the severe illness care, the intensive medicine care, it puts tremendous stress on our systems. Um, in terms of healthcare workers, uh, they they will tell you just coming through a regular flu season can be extremely stressful. Then on top of it, um, our hospitals uh, have not had the opportunity, uh, largely for financial reasons, to stockpile protective equipment, masks, the gowns, the gloves, the things you need to care for a patient and protect yourself. And coming off a of flu season, what excess capacity they did have has been largely gnawed down to almost nothing. And uh, today, even with uh, full production, and unfortunately a lot of that production is actually in China, uh, many of the uh, uh, pieces of protective equipment we'd need for healthcare workers are just not going to be available. And so now the challenge is just what we're seeing in China, where their workers are being made to go to work in hospitals with no protective equipment. And, you know, I kind of liken that to walking into a room full of, uh, you know, viral machine guns. And uh, what will happen here? Will they go to work? Will people as healthcare workers who will get sick, who will, how, what will happen with that? And so I think these are the things that I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about uh, the issue of supply chains. We live in a global economy today where, Our own center here is doing a lot of work 
looking at drug shortages, critical drugs for treating uh, any number of different diseases. And it turns out that for many of these, the drugs are actually produced or the active pharmaceutical ingredient is produced in China. And we're seeing uh, shutdowns now of all these supply chains and manufacturing large areas of China. Uh, today, just this morning, uh, Hyundai announced uh, stopping off production of automobile manufacturing in South Korea because of the inability to get parts from China. Wow. And and so one of the things we're worried about, well, we have a perfect storm of a, of a substantial increase in illnesses at the same time our availability to get these drugs is is minimized even more than it is now, which it's already a serious problem as we speak. Let me read you two paragraphs from a piece I read uh, in this morning's Wall Street Journal. In the absence of vaccine, some public health experts worry that the pathogen might be able to continuously circulate akin to a seasonal virus. Quote, we either stop it now or we never stop it, said Lawrence Gostin, the director of the O'Neill Institute for National and Global Health Law at Georgetown University. What does he mean we either stop it now or we will never stop it? Well, once it becomes uh, seated in the population and established there, unless you have a vaccine, uh, people will be able to and will continue to spread the uh, virus year after year after year, much like seasonal flu. Um, I would take one slight exception with Larry's comments. Uh, I take it you know him. I know him very well. Sure. Um, and uh, is stop it now is too late. This this is you know the cows are already all out of the barn, okay. and they're they're half a mile down the road. And so the idea is, and this is why even our own country's response right now is not based on anything sound on anything sound in terms of public health. Um, you know, unless we're prepared to wall off the rest of the world, um, we will not stop this coming into this country because cases from China have spread this now to many countries around the world. And these countries will have their own outbreaks. They'll have their own increased occurrence of cases, which are, you know, how are we going to screen the entire world coming in out of our country? And again, I come back to supply chains and how many critical products and services. Just think about this one figure. 690,000 Americans are kept alive today with end-stage renal disease because of the drugs and the dialysis uh, opportunity that they have, for which virtually all of this is made offshore from outside the United States. Good Lord. Uh, Is the airplane the biggest enemy to public health in this day and age? Well, it surely uh, exacerbates the problem because it moves things around so quickly to so many locations. And so, you know, a, a bug anywhere yesterday could be everywhere tomorrow. And so that's a, a big problem. The other thing, though, is just, you know, when you have uh, almost 8 billion people living cheek and jowl together, particularly in the developing uh, countries, large cities, um, that also really s- facilitates transmission. Think about that half the world's population still does not have toilets. Right. And so that, that when we look at the world of, of hygiene and transmission of infectious agents, it's, it's easy to transmit. Then on top of it, we have still a large animal food supply. In this case, in China, uh, we're quite convinced that the original source of this virus were bats. Uh, it's very closely related to a bat virus we see that likely came either from the bat directly to humans or through an intermediary food source, uh, a rodent, a mammal, something that got infected. And this is not new. We've seen this SARS, the severe acute respiratory syndrome in China uh, that started in China 2002 and three, also likely had its origin in bats, again, which are basically uh, hunted 
and then use for food supply. So anytime you handle all these animals, uh, it's remarkable. I mean, some of the most eye-opening moments I've had is spending, for example, a day in the Bangkok market, which was almost a mile and a half by mile and a half large, and there was almost every imaginable animal in the world in there, you know, basically crowded in where you could go buy it, and they'd slaughter it there right there for you. Uh, they have a palate that uh, I'm not familiar with. <laughs> yes, the, nor me either. Mike, uh, something I've always wondered, uh, has SARS been eradicated or did they just lie dormant? Well, SARS as a virus has not shown back up again. It Basically, once we recognized that the primary reservoir where this was coming from was uh, an animal called palm civets, a, a large mammal that was used for food. And uh, once that got out of the uh, food markets, the, the the market settings of China and the Guangdong province, the pings into humans stopped. Mm -hmm. Then it was our job to continue to follow up on the humans to make sure that they didn't transmit to anyone else. So cases were identified as early as possible and uh, their contacts followed. Now, it was advantageous to us for SARS, as much of a challenge that it was, most people did not really become highly infectious till the sixth or seventh day of their illness. And so if you could catch people early enough, you could get them in what we call protective isolation or where the air that they're breathing is not going to come in contact with somebody else's air intake. And that stopped it. This one is a challenge, this coronavirus, because it looks like there's much more transmission earlier in the illness uh, when they may first have their first symptoms. And no one would even know you had a coronavirus infection because either it's very mild or because of the fact uh, you, you know, you're not yet going to be severely ill for a few more days. In your career, where, where do you rate this in terms of your personal concern? Well, it's surely close to the top, if not the top. I mean, I was very involved with HIV work. I actually was in a 12-person meeting at the CDC in the summer of 1981, which turned out to be the very first meeting ever held about what became HIV-AIDS. Uh, but that really unfolded over a several-year period, so it wasn't quite like today. We had the 2009 H1N1 pandemic uh, of influenza that we were very concerned about, but that, too, um, basically did not turn out to be, you know, from a severity standpoint, what we're seeing here. And uh, so this one really is is a concern. The challenge with this one is we don't know what's going to happen for certain over the next three to six weeks. Um, if it's going as I think it might, um, like I said, there's going to be a lot of countries around the world going to be in the same soup that China is right now. Uh, something I've always been curious about when these outbreaks develop, how, how ultimately do they end? How do they cease? Well, uh, first of all, again, you have to go back to which kind of infectious agent it is. Some of them, like influenza, a new virus, actually appears, causes a very severe illness, picture for six to 12 months and then becomes the seasonal flu strain from there on. Mm -hmm. And so it comes back seasonally. Other ones like SARS come and go, uh, which is rare that we see something like that, but they happen. Others are like Ebola where um, they happen irregularly, but when they do, now we know that they can be big and they can last for months. But then once we shut it all down, we don't have more human to human transmission, they end. Um, many infectious agents, particularly antibiotic infectious agents, once they start, they just keep spreading and spreading and spreading. And one day, they just become the common infectious diseases out there. 
in this case, unfortunately, with high levels of antibiotic resistance, meaning it's very difficult to treat. So each disease is somewhat different in terms of what their future looks like. As you read earlier, this one does have all the makings of being a very severe problem now, mm -hmm. but over the course of the next um, 6 to 12 months, could start to morph more into what we're going to see seasonally like we do influenza. Is uh, coronavirus respiratory in nature? Yes, it is uh, respiratory. What's been interesting is most of influenza is a larger uh, part of the upper respiratory tract, you know, the the kind of coughing, hacking, fever chills. This one, uh, the coronavirus has in the past tended to be a lower respiratory, darn deep, deep in your lungs. And because the receptor sites in your lungs at that lower level are also found in the GI tract, that it's not unusual to see some marked diarrhea with these cases. While we've had some examples of that, uh, largely uh, that's been absent, and it looks like there's more upper respiratory involvement, meaning that's why they may be more infectious. So um, at this point, this illness, clearly uh, the primary reason that people do poorly and die is a very, very severe pneumonia, which, uh, of course, means it's, it's very difficult to breathe. Uh I will expect that you are probably going to have to face some growing role in this. Is that correct? Well, our center has actually been quite involved right from day one. In fact, uh, uh, we have an incredible news team here that has been literally breaking news on this topic dating back to, to mid-December. So um, we're very fortunate uh, with that news team. Uh, that uh, we have been a leader uh, globally in reporting on this. Also, just because of our our role in advising groups like the WHO, the uh, Department of Health and Human Services, including CDC and the FDA and so forth, NIH, we've been quite involved on an everyday basis in terms of providing advice. Also, part of it was, for, for me, it uh, was a very, you might say, painful deja vu all over again because in my book that I uh, published in 2017, Deadliest Enemies, Our War Against Killer Germs, the chapter on coronaviruses, the actual title was SARS and MERS, A Harbinger of Things to Come. Good Lord. And I literally mm -hmm. talked about this kind of a picture. And uh, in the chapter looking at how a large outbreak like this might look, I actually talked about ch what the Chinese are exactly doing today, shutting down society as we know it, the supply chain interruption, the impact that that would have. And uh, I take no comfort in, you know, having read, written this three years ago, but it's uh, a, a reminder that what is happening. And so we tend to get involved because people at least have some sense we've thought about this. I suppose for us in Minnesota, the usual admonitions apply. Stay healthy, wash your hands, be careful. Huh? And nothing that's, else that's, we can and do. Enjoy, and enjoy life. Yeah, enjoy life. Enjoy life. I would say the one thing that uh, we would be wise to do, it's like that hurricane analogy I used earlier, you know, we're not sure it's going to hit landfall, mm -hmm. but start taking precautions now, preparing. Mm -hmm. And I think now is the time for every healthcare facility in the state of Minnesota to look at uh, their plans for what happens if they have a major increase in cases like this. How will they provide care? Uh, what will they do to protect their healthcare workers? Uh, how secure are their uh, sources of drugs and protective equipment? Uh, businesses need to think about what would happen today if in a major business uh, you found out at uh, 4 o'clock this afternoon that the individual who left this morning uh, not feeling well went into the hospital and was found to have this coronavirus infection. What would happen in that workplace today? And so what we need to do is think about that. What would happen if somebody who came back from China 
uh, was infected, uh, was hospitalized, came home after that hospitalization, but not yet clear if they're infectious or not, and their two kids went to your grade, uh, your children's grade school. Mm-hmm. What would happen? So we need to be thinking about those scenarios now so that we have plans, we have answers, and we have action. And that's, that's you know, whether this happens or not, that's not a bad thing to prepare for that. Are you satisfied that that is happening significantly in this country? It is not. It's and not. part of it is we are caught in a world of happy talk, saying, don't worry, this is low risk right now. Uh, we're going to take care of it from our, you know, our leading political leaders. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just have to be honest. You know, the public health community got itself in a jam back in the 2014-15 Ebola outbreak when the CDC kept telling people, we're ready, hospitals are ready for this. And then when that first case came uh, to Dallas County, and uh, was hospitalized and two healthcare workers got infected, you know, we lost almost all credibility as a public health community because the public perceived we weren't ready. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, we weren't. Mm-hmm. And we should never have said that. And I think today the best thing we can do is tell people what we're doing to get ready, how we can help them in their local communities, not promise that we're going to keep this out like putting some kind of iron curtain around our country. And But if it does come and causes this kind of problem, this is what we're going to do to respond. That's when people will stay with you. That's when they'll trust you. That's when they'll say they're telling me exactly what I need to know, and they can't solve all my problems, but I have faith that they're doing everything they can. Doctor, uh, this is Kenny Olson, Doc. Uh, could you? I'm really worried. Uh, do me a favor and tell us when to run for our lives. That's all I ask you. You know, you this know, really it's scares not, me. It's not about running for our lives. You know what it is? It's going to be about how we're going to take care of each other. Right. And that's what's really clear. You know, some of the most painful stories that we're getting out of China right now are individuals who live outside of the Wuhan area, for example. And because of the quarantine, they can't get in any more than people can get out. Yet they have an aging parent or parents who are living alone who – no one is is stopping to visit and see, and they're both sick, and they can't get into the hospital, and these kids can't get home to care for them. Wow. And, and they're sitting literally outside a quarantine begging to go in to what is where the most, you know, a lot of the disease is at just to help take care of their aging parents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we as a country, as a community need to think about how we respond, you know, and... Uh, uh, you know, I, I a long time ago came to the conclusion I don't work anymore really for me. <laughs> right. um, I, I've, I've passed all those years. Okay, you know, to me it's a legacy issue. What, what am I doing to make it a better world for my kids and grandkids? Right. And my God, during this next few months, I think a lot of us we put to the test of how are we going to respond in terms of what we can do to support our families and our friends, our colleagues. And if this unfolds like China right now, you know, uh, failure is not an option. Panic is not going to help. Just we gotta we gotta get through it and help each other. Mike, I appreciate your time and uh, I thank you. Thank you. All right, thank you. That's Doctor Mike Osterholm, uh, and he is the director at the University of Minnesota of the uh, Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy, called SIDRAP. He's also a Regents professor. I appreciate his time. We'll be back with Johnny Heights News. The earth is not your mother. The Joe Suchere Show.
I need some showroom time. I'm going to get to Schmel's Countryside Volkswagen Fiat and Alfa Romeo at the end of this week. We can't be here because they're going to come in here and redo the studios with television screens. Not, understand ooh, that? No. no. Is that no. good or Well, they're bad? not. They're doing no. something. With, well, they're with, doing something that's going to allow me to get to Schmel's, oh which is on the southeast quadrant <laughs> of Highway 36 and 61. Uh, right now, Alfa Romeo for, uh, you know, we're into Feb. It's still the sign and drive performance event. And uh, returning Alpha lessees get ro- uh, extra loyalty money this month. And there are clearance deals on the 2019 Alpha Romeos, as uh, there are on the 2019 Fiats, with discounts up to $5,000 off on the 124 Spiders. It's a great sports car. I've told you it's the greatest, closest you can come to a modern-day Triumph or MG, and you don't need the neighborhood to come over and help you put the top up and down. The Volkswagen Tiguans are on the ground and ready for delivery. Fiat 500X Trekking. Uh, I'm telling you, these are fun cars with fun histories, with uh, panache, and that Alfa Romeo grill is probably the best grill in the automotive world. Uh, this is a family-owned dealership. We're in the third generation. They don't own 15 stores. This is uh, their bread and butter is to take care of you, and I've been back. I think I'll, if my next car will be my sixth car from Schmelz. I, uh, I swear by them. They're good people, and you're going to enjoy your time there. And when you do enter the showroom, would you please tell them you're there because of the uh, – GL podcast, and they'll sign you up for a $100 blue plate gift card. And uh, please, especially if you're in the market for some of this German stuff, will you go look at the Stelvio and knock yourselves off your feet with the uh, window sticker prices? You'll certainly, certainly enjoy it. SchmelzVW.com, SchmelzFiat.com, and SchmelzAlphaRomeo.com. Here's John Height. Thank you, Joe. The long-anticipated Iowa caucuses turned into a debacle Monday night when technical problems delayed the results, prompting presidential candidates to depart before the outcome was clear, although a lot of the candidates went up and did what basically sounded like victory speeches, including Minnesota's Amy Klobuchar, who gave the first speech of the night. She called on those in the room to continue their support as she heads to New Hampshire and other primary states. Uh, Joe, I did go and look about the process because you were worried. You said, why should we believe it? They apparently have. And why didn't they use this last night with phone calls? They have written. It's all written down. It was the app that failed. Mm -hmm. So why not just say this precinct? Here's what we have. Maybe because they wanted to prove that how clever they were to have an app. It makes no sense. No, Just it doesn't. Take care of it and, and do it. They, they will have results. Not that it matters because we're a podcast, but 4 o'clock this afternoon, right. our time, uh, they will say they will announce the uh, the winner there. On the brink of his Senate acquittal, President Trump will be unleashing what is being called relentless optimism during his third State of the Union address, a speech designed to pivot from the impeachment to his drive for re-election. The president speaking from a position of strength with pretty much complete control of the Republican Party. The theme of the speech, the great American comeback. This will contrast with his State of the Union address last year. Uh, Then Democrats were triumphant just a few days after taking control of the House. What can we do tonight, although I've decided to take February off officially from alcohol, (laughs) even though it's not a problem for me? But I'm wondering what we can do tonight to make uh, to make his speech a drinking game. I was thinking of that. Yeah, uh, uh, you, you can't because if you tremendous the, the word you, tremendous yeah, you, you the might South not St. be Paul able Mayor, to get through the night. <laughs> Jimmy Francis and his brothers were on a on a thread talking about that, and they said if you use the word tremendous. You have to use water because you will be so bleep faced <laughs> right, you right. won't make it past seven <laughs> fifteen. Right. So be careful. Have a care. 
<sighs> Meanwhile, the president uh, has made it clear he doesn't like it when people don't stand proudly during the national anthem. But a video published this week seems to show him doing anything but that during Sunday's Super Bowl. He was joking and palling around in the Instagram video that appears to have been taken from inside a dining room at his Trump International Golf Club, where he and First Lady Melania Trump were attending a Super Bowl party. The video published by the Miami Herald, which said it came from an Instagram post but didn't provide any further details. In the clip, the president's fidgeting and interacting with other people in the room as the national anthem is being sung. At one point, he pretends to conduct music with his hands. During Demi Lovato's performance of the anthem, everybody else in the room, including his wife, is standing with their hands across their chests. The president tweeted, remember, back during the whole NFL controversy, isn't it in their contract that players have to stand at attention hand on heart? The $40 million commissioner must now make a stand. I sometimes see guys that don't take their hats off. That that, that irritates even, me. That bothers me, too. Mm-hmm. I don't I, – yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. And I'm not, you know, one of these old fuddy-duddies like Joe that as soon as we walk in here with our hat on, yeah. he jumps on our case. I don't care if you wear your hat indoors. but I do. Uh, yeah, we know, we know, Joe. <laughs> We're aware. Uh, but, you know, during the anthem, pop that baby off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in, f- in full disclosure, as I ripped Jay-Z and Beyonce for not standing during the anthem during the Super Bowl, I'm going to throw a little uh, non-love, and uh, the president has got to pay attention anytime he hears that national anthem. you got to stand he up was and directing snap to the orchestra. I think he's got to he just he was doing that. to him. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. hey Tiger, how you doing? That's, uh, I, the only thing that bugs me about that, I don't care what people do during the anthem. I like to stand with my hand on my heart. Somebody doesn't want to, I don't care. But the hypocrisy involved here drives me absolutely oh, you, you crazy. Yes, you need yeah. to relax. We've got a guy that works here that doesn't know what Twitter is, and he doesn't listen to the program, so it's safe for me to say that every time he sees you in the hall, he gives you the double guns. He does that. He does that. How you doing, pal? Well, anyway. The same guy that used to fist bump us. Always room in the world for a thousand more hypocrites. Anyway. Wow. It drives me nuts. Wow. Thank you very much. (laughs) Organizers of the... uh, Just think. Just think. Trump doesn't even drink. I know. Can you imagine what he'd be like if he drank? Wow. The Twitter would be like... Hey! There are some some folks on Twitter who were intimating that perhaps that was a sign of onset dementia. You want to fight? I'll fight you. (laughs) (laughs) I'll meet y'all back at 7. Okay, I'll say one more thing because I told you guys all this. You're off the rails. The hypocrisy drives me crazy. Well, it's it's everywhere in the political class. If Barack Obama had done this... Uh, people, maybe even one in this room. I would have, I would have mentioned you, it. Yes, you would have called for his impeachment. Yeah. I don't know about impeachment, but, but I would have. And, uh, and but uh, but every Republican's ignoring it, including the ones who put on Twitter, Jay Z, and you know they're just uh, like Tom, what's her name, Tommy Lauren or whatever. Yep. Yeah, completely ignoring it, even though she went on a big diatribe. I think your point's Jay-Z. well taken. Move on. Okay. I'm on the record as saying he Already? should not have gone a yeah. double guns. <laughs> Do you want to impeach a little like you would have No, Obama? I don't want to okay. impeach. Just Barack Obama. Oh, for God's <laughs> sake, shut up and do the news. Yes, sir. <laughs> Organizers of the 134th St. Paul Winter Carnival say more than 300,000 people took part in the 10 days. Deb Schaber, president and CEO of the St. Paul Festival and Heritage Foundation, credits mild weather for bringing big crowds out for the coolest celebration on earth. Rice Town, uh, Rice Park, excuse me, in downtown St. Paul, should be back to normal by Wednesday. 
The tent started coming down Monday. What's left of the ice sculptures will be removed today, which is Tuesday. She also said all the pine trees that line the entrances of Rice Park were leftover Christmas trees donated by Boy Scouts, churches, and Home Depot stores. The trees are being recycled and turned into pellets, which are burned and used to heat downtown buildings. Oh, that's fantastic. Like the Landmark Center and St. Paul City Hall. At the Vulcan Snow Park on the state fairgrounds, they've already done a lot of cleanup work. The giant snow sculptures are gone. The sliding Why hill. Why in the hell won't you just let them melt? Uh, insurance. Insurance. Yeah, oh, people will climb on sake. them. And oh, God help that me. Kind of Liability thing can be a problem, can Didn't it? Didn't they have a, a man-made <laughs> snow uh, sliding hill, too? Yes. Put that's a big a, pile of snow. That's already that's been removed. The 3,000 tons of snow they made for the Vulcan Snow Park will be cleared out by the end of the week. How much longer is that charade going to go on, Such? What, the carnival? Yeah. Uh, I hope it's it, it had going. a giant role in establishing St. Paul, and it's, uh, it is fading. It's it certainly needs, fading. It needs some updating. Yeah. Uh, did you guys see, maybe I'm late to this party, last week uh, PBS uh, Channel 2 had a hour documentary about I've the seen it a number of is times. Is that an old one? Yeah. Yeah, I watched yeah. about 20 yeah. minutes of it. Yeah. it was very I've watched it uh, in its entirety many times. Come on. Congratulations. We're all proud of you. Yep. Wow. Everybody's turning on everybody at this point. Yeah, you're all a bunch of cutthroats. <laughs> Conservative radio host and Republican kingmaker Rush Limbaugh says he's been diagnosed with advanced lung cancer. Addressing listeners on his program on Monday, Limbaugh said he will take some days off for further medical tests and determine treatment. He said he was reluctant to discuss personal matters and distract from his work. He realized it was better to be honest, he said, and avoid speculation that would follow when he has to miss being on air for treatment as a result uh, of the treatment. He started his first national radio show in 1988. He has dominated talk radio with his raucous, liberal-bashing style that made him one of the most influential voices in American politics. His popularity has survived criticism and thrived despite personal woes. Uh, back in 2003, he admitted to an addiction to painkillers and entered rehab. Authorities opened an investigation into alleged doctor shopping, saying he received up to 2,000 pills from four doctors over a period of six months. Jeez. But he reached a deal with prosecutors that dismissed the single charge. Mean-spirited people are taking him on. Oh, and uh, horrible. I, Don't you just have the courtesy now? Just don't say anything. Exactly. Wishing ill upon others, yeah. uh, especially people that already have cancer, that's a karma thing that... They're uh, challenging the bad voodoo there. You, uh, you are messing with a karma thing that you don't want to get into. No, it's, it's, yeah. Boy, don't You know, don't we do met, uh, Royce and I met Rush. <laughs> 88 was his first year. Yeah. And in 88... We had him on Saturday Sports Talk. Joe, we were one of we were under one hundred. We were one of the first stations oh, I know. to sign Rush, and he was he was doing a local bit out in California, uh, Yorba Linda or something like that. But Royce said to him during a commercial break, <laughs> "Hey, Rush, it's uh, quite a bit you got going here. That's a hell of a bit you got going here." And Rush said, "It's not a bit. Yes. It's not a bit." <laughs> Uh, but it was, in fact, one of the greatest bits because I, me and a, a kid named Peter Thiel used to listen to tapes of him before he was national. Yeah. And uh, he was really outrageous when he was just a local guy. Really? Oh, he tamed it way down. I think down. it was Sacramento. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Was. He, he, yeah, that's right. It was. He tamed it way down for the national audience. <laughs> Star Tribune reporting Dariet Drive-In. The classic know it well. I don't know it at all. Oh, classic Italian. many times. Classic Italian-American. It's Minnehaha just uh, east of uh, uh, Johnson Parkway. It is for sale. 
The Hangout launched in 1951 by the... Podcast doesn't work out. We got... uh, Get (laughs) Let's order up. Launched in 1951 by the Fida family has been cranking out meatball subs, burgerettes, and banana shakes for over three generations. Uh, It was on diners, drive-ins, and dives. I I don't remember seeing that. Great chicken. Yeah, I saw Patrick uh, tweeted... Yeah, you uh, got If you're going to buy it, you got to get the recipe. Exactly. Uh, it's uh, beloved as a seasonal landmark in the area. The property listed at $384,900. And yes, that includes the large green, white, and red marquee. Uh, the Star Tribune says calls to the restaurant did not go through Monday. It's been closed for well, the season closed. since last October. Yeah. It's looking- I've sent over there a couple times a year. Is it right in the middle of a quiet little neighborhood or yes. there's a lot of uh, yes. other businesses around? Yes. It's looking likely that the Rolling Stones will perform in the Twin Cities. Well, this do I got to go one more time? Yeah, you do. I, I have, think I, I think. do. Yeah. Unveiled Monday yeah, at the Charlie's going to be seventy nine. Yep. Unveiled Monday at the IDS Center in downtown Minneapolis, an ice sculpture featuring the British rock band's tongue and lips logo. The sculpture's unveiling comes just a few days before a Thursday concert announcement that the city of Minneapolis and U.S. Bank Stadium are planning. The sculpture also was unveiled the same day the Stones teased on social media a possible tour. In an eight-second video clip posted to Twitter, the Stones logo is cast into the moonlight sky with a Batman-like spotlight with the caption, Feeling Restless. The Stones last played for Minneapolis in 2015 at TCF Bank Stadium, one year before U.S. Bank Stadium. Open. I just want a different set list, though. I don't want to hear the same what? old. I think you're going to hear the hits. Yeah, okay, yeah. do the Harlem Shuffle. I think you're going to hear the hits. Probably yeah. not that. How about one. waiting on a friend? Okay, that'd be different. Be that fun. doesn't make all the yeah, sets. That'd be fun. Uh, are you going to do the story about the hardware store closing? Uh, I wasn't going to. Hardware Hank and Hamlin. Yeah, yeah. I, I well, he tried to get it sold and didn't sell. He's going to. He's just going to go out of business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, don't you think our guy Frat should pick that up and build a studio for us so we we never have to come into this bit? We can. <laughs> oh, I, I like it. The knack hardware <laughs> and lounge. I we've like got, it here. We've got a lounge. We've got bar stools. We've got liquor, and we've got a, a studio. It and is a nice location. And occasionally, we'll sell a screw or a nail or, yeah. or something to a, a GL. But or it's shovel. not high on our priority. We just want to do the right. show, right? Yeah. You know, we'll have a shovel or a snowblower in the window and. And the door will be locked at right. all times. <laughs> Ford. Get on it, frat. <laughs> Ford, looking to hire an engineer, usually isn't newsworthy. But that changes uh, once we get to learn the job, and it unwittingly announces the ad that the revamped Mustang is coming out soon. Yeah, electric. As discovered by the folks over at Mustang Forums, the next iteration of America's hugely popular sports car will arrive in 2022 for the 2023 model year. As per the job ad on LinkedIn, the Blue Oval wants to hire a, quote, wind, road, noise, and air leakage plant vehicle team engineer at its plant in Flat Rock, Michigan. The listing is still public at the moment of this uh, and says the person will be part of the team tasked to deliver the final sign-off on the Ford 2023 Mustang S650 vehicle program before it goes to customers. Applying for the job will redirect you to one of Ford's own sites where the listing is carried over from LinkedIn. According to a report oh, that's evil. According to a report published by Automotive News back in August 2018, the next Mustang was originally supposed to come out later this year, but Ford CEO Jim Hackett allegedly pushed back the model's launch by a year. It now appears we'll have to wait even more as the seventh-generation model will finally get here in 2022. Do you see the news out of uh, England, uh, Joe? Uh, They will uh, outlaw all sales of 
oil, gas and oil cars by the year 2035. I disagree. It'll wow. be against the law. Why would they pick that uh, year, I wonder? They've got to save the planet. So you have a little count of little millennium that's clock to than, count that's, down. That's more than 10 years. That's yeah. 15, 15, it's optimistic. Yeah. Boris says they're uh, even thinking about moving that date up. Yeah. Oof. A man was arrested in Anaheim on suspicion of driving while intoxicated after he hit, uh, hit a large street sign and then just kept driving with it on his car. The car hit the sign on a freeway off-ramp and kept driving, uh, according to the police department, driving with its new hood ornament. The driver kept going until he was stopped by officers and taken into custody. Uh, the uh, police said the DUI arrest was the driver's fourth in the past 10 years. Where's this? Anaheim, California. Where's Reavers right now? <laughs> San Diego. Okay. A photo showed the broken sign resting on the car's roof and covering part of the windshield. Authorities didn't identify the suspected drunk driver and no other details available. You know, I can't remember which columnist it was. It wasn't Peter Egan, but a columnist for either car and driver, road and track, motor trend. I don't remember, but he predicted a, uh, the future of the automobile will be you will still be able to drive them in private uh, uh Estates, the way you now have fox hunting and uh, mm. horses, and, and you you would you'd keep your car there, and you'd only get to drive it around that area. That's a that's a depressing thought. It, it really is. is over at that's that point. Yeah. A confused uh, speaking of drinking and inebriated Ohio man looking for answers in the wrong place frantically called cops twenty five times looking for his lost hoodie. Thirty two year old Harves Gardner is now facing a felony charge of disrupting public services after being arrested early Monday following his alleged batch of calls. Uh, cops wrote of the incident when people arrived, the defendant only wanted rides around town so that he could find his hoodie that he lost. Police told Gardner, who was allegedly intoxicated at the time, to simply go back to bed, but he kept calling police, providing different locations for cops to respond. He was held at the County Justice Center. Thank you. Yes. We're going to talk to Tom Hauser, Channel 5's own. He's in Iowa waiting the caucus countdown. Truth, justice, and the suture. Okay, turn that guitar down there, Keith Richards. I've got a good idea that uh, actually instantly lit a spark under me. Uh, GLers, and uh, I'm talking to my firearm aficionado friends right now. Some of you that spend a lot of time at the range, you're already big believers in handgun magazine loader devices. And I have to be honest with you, it's all I can do. I've always done the eye roll because I have this buddy that he tried to convince me a long time ago and show me, and it turned into sort of a bumbling Inspector Clouseau routine. <laughs> so I've always said, nah. But when the guys I trust the most, that being the owner and the employees of DKMags.com in New Brighton, when they tell me, they have the best ever handgun magazine loader in store. They'll give me a free demonstration and prove me wrong in a matter of seconds. Then I listen. They got my attention there. And then when they tell me it's only going to be 29 bucks plus tax because I get the GLer only discount, I get really excited because 29 bucks that's a dandy good price. Uh, so that means we're all due for another visit to DK Mags in New Brighton or even Monticello Pond and Gun. And if you want the good GLer only price, be sure to tell them you're a friend of Suchi Boy and Garage Logic, which, you know what, even if you don't buy anything, you'll still get a, a free, lovely parting gift. 
They're an awesome part of our family, the GL family, Monticello Pond and Gun and DKMags.com. We're going to be joined by uh, Tom Hauser, who's Channel 5's go-to guy for all political information in the history of the United States. Uh, Russ, <laughs> you have a little problem? Him. Yeah, we just lost him. Okay. Tom's in Iowa, and he's got to be as confused as the rest of us because uh, Iowa cannot deliver the results of their well, that's, uh, of their caucus. How are you doing there, Griff? Uh, <laughs> great reference. Des Moines County Democratic <laughs> Chair Tom Courtney is blaming election technology for the delay and calling a new caucus reporting app a mess. The app is the issue and the hotline is smoked. Volunteer Joe Galasso told NBC News. The Iowa State Democratic Party said the integrity of the results is paramount. Tom? Joe? Have you seen anything like this in your life? <laughs> No, and I've covered every Iowa caucus since 1988. Oh, ick. Well, and why did they I, fix something that wasn't the, broken? I was even here for the Howard Dean scream in 2004. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. I, 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 it, it's hard to say. It, you could argue it's, it's been broken for a while. I mean, the, the last couple of years, uh, you may recall in 2016, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton debated who actually won. It was took weeks before they had official final results. Clinton said she won by two-tenths of a percent. Sanders disputed that. And in 2012, turns out Rick Santorum won the Iowa caucuses, but he didn't know it till two weeks later, couldn't cash in on any of the momentum, and Mitt Romney ended up getting the win, I believe. And so it's been it's been problematic for a while, yet... Iowa has persisted in remaining the first in the nation caucuses, and I think that is more in jeopardy now than ever before. Well, it should be. And why did they go to a, a triple set of reporting results? What the hell has what, – what does that mean? Well, part of it has to do with what happened uh, four years ago. There was uh, confusion about who actually, you know, had the most votes from the beginning to the end – and how the votes would translate into a delegate count, it, it gets far too uh, complex for a podcast or any sane human being. So what they did was they reported the first count that they take at the caucuses. And, and keep in mind, this is where low-tech meets high-tech. Right. They literally have people, like we've done up in Minnesota with our caucuses, people in a gymnasium or a church basement or wherever, and people raise their hands you know, for their candidate or they stand up however they want to do it and they do one count. Then you have to have at least 15% of the people at that precinct caucus to remain what they call viable. Right. So at the caucus I was at, Yang and Biden were not viable. Neither one had 15%. So those people either had to find enough people to come over them to get them to 15% or they had to go to another candidate who might be their second choice. After 15 minutes, they count again, and then that is the final total. So at the precinct caucus I was at, Bernie Sanders led the first count by one vote over Amy Klobuchar. On the second count, she picked up 31 votes. Bernie picked up seven. So Klobuchar ended up winning that precinct. So she was going to get the most of the delegates from that particular precinct. So all three sets of those numbers then – not just at that precinct, but at all 1,676 precincts or whatever it is, were going to be counted that way. You'd get three sets of numbers. 
So really everybody can say they won. They can say, I did well on the first ballot, not so well on the second, but hey, look, I, I did get some delegates. It gets very convoluted. I, I think they make it unnecessarily complicated. Well, you just stumbled on the answer. This is the outgrowth of everyone must have a trophy. I'm Everybody not, gets a ribbon. Okay, I'm not being facetious. In other words, why is it important for me to know who got how many votes in the first round? All I want to know is at Acme High School, at the end of the three rounds, who won? That's all I need to know. Absolutely. But the candidates, you got to remember, they're not aiming this at you and me, Joe. They're aiming this at the political apparatus, right. at, the, at, the, at the, all the different campaigns, so everybody can spin it however they, oh. they want. And now keep in mind, you know, as, as much as the people down here in Iowa are going to be criticized for this, the Iowa Democratic Party, much of this was forced on them by the Democratic National Committee. And both Tom Perez, the, the DNC chairman, uh, and the chairman of the Iowa Democratic Party, neither one of them, to my knowledge, has made any public comments yet about what the hell is going on here. Was it forced upon them precisely so candidates could spin it however they want? Well, essentially, yes. I mean, that, that was the outgrowth of what happened in, in 2016. Bernie was saying, well, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton won, but it's because of the way you counted the votes. We want to count them a different way. And one thing led to another, and then we end up Jeez. with this system. This is amazing. I, and and I mean, this is without even bringing up the fact that then they decide to go, you know, like I said, it's low-tech meets high-tech. So you've got caucuses, which is the lowest tech way possible of counting votes. Right. But then the way you report them is as high-tech as you can go <laughs> yes. with, these, with these apps, and they failed miserably on the apps. They could have had... 20 people sitting in a conference room and had each of the precincts just call in results. Yep. You write them down, somebody does the data entry, boom, you got results in two hours. They fixed what wasn't broken. <laughs> I think you're right. How long are you stuck down there? Oh, probably another month or so. Both courses will be opening before you know it. No, we were supposed to come back today. We are now staying through uh, tonight. We, we expect. Now, now, get this. We're going to get results in about two and a half hours at around four o'clock. But get this, it's not going to be the full result. Oh, my God. You understand oh. we're going to get about 50% of the results. Where's so the other 50%? I think there's, believe it or not, earlier this morning, they were still being reported in from precincts whose apps were not working. So now they're they're trying to call in, and there were problems with the phone systems because they were not anticipating have, having to go to the phone systems. So it, it, it is it is a mess of almost unparalleled proportions. This is I mean, amazing. I, I, in terms of trying to count votes, you know, counting is not a difficult thing to do, you would think. <laughs> Tom, and they're making it as difficult. Let me, I got one follow-up for Tom Kenny. Oh, go ahead. Uh, does it... Does this put into play holding these results in suspicion, or is that not uh, is that not feasible? Oh, I, I think even though I, I I don't think that there is any foul play here other than a foul up, right? But any candidate who did not do as well as he or she had hoped, and we can read into that. I'll just tell you, Joe Biden's campaign, right? They're going to cry foul. They yep. are the ones. Who have so far been casting as much doubt on these responses, on these uh, results as possible, because they know they did not do very well here for a former vice president who was 
one of the leaders in the polls down here for many months. I'll tell you, the two precinct caucuses I was at last night, the, the one that Klobuchar won, Biden, was not even viable. He didn't even get to the 15% threshold. And I, I think he was barely viable in the one next door in the, in the same building. And I heard that anecdotally uh, across the state. And he's probably vying with Amy Klobuchar for that fourth or fifth position, which is great for Amy Klobuchar, not so great for Joe Biden. Tom, if you want to have some fun and laughs and uh, hijinks, go to your Twitter account and look under trending and then read about this, the Iowa caucus disaster hashtag thing. And what from what I'm seeing, the Democrats in the country are slamming this far more than the uh, the Republicans. It's pretty funny. And conspiracy theories abound. Oh, absolutely. Well, the Republicans, they don't have to say much, of course. The president can't help himself. So no, he he's, can't. He's, he's having some fun with it. But it's essentially, you know, when, when your opponent has a, has assembled a circular firing squad, all you have to do is just get out of their way. That's it. You're right. And just let them have at it. Because I've, I've never... I'll tell you, this, this is going to have... This is going to have repercussions going all the way to November because you've already got Republicans saying this is the same party that wants to administer Medicare for all. Right, exactly. And they can't administer yeah, the vote to 250,000 yeah. people in a small Midwestern state. Right. Uh, can I use that line? Circular, <laughs> Circular firing, firing squad. squad. That's yeah. brilliant, Tom. <laughs> well, Tom, yeah, hang in there and thank you. Uh, my pleasure. We'll have reports tonight on Five Eyewitness News, 435, 6 and 6.30. Very house good. boy. Way to go, house boy. Get yeah. those in. Good yeah. job. <laughs> Thank See you. Guys. Thank you, you, Tom Hauser. Uh, now, you were talking about the uh, the State of the Union tonight becoming a drinking game. What about a grilling game? Uh, we'll go Ooh, to Grunhofer's. Yeah, yeah, we load yeah. up. We turn it into a festive night watching uh, and figuring out uh, what it is that Trump will be trying yes, to say. Yes, again, get get the different kinds of brats, yep. slice them, get a toothpick, and every time you hear tremendous, you need to take a small bite and see which one finishes first. You could have a State of the Union grilling bracket. Yeah. I like to work. cut them up, though. Cut them up. Yeah, every time thing. you hear tremendous yeah. and you're going to be full, you're going to gain about 20 pounds because you're going to say it 40 million times. Uh, Grunhofer's Old Fashioned Meats at the north end of Hugo in uh on highway 61 you can't miss it new uh new uh varieties of summer sausage and pork belly and side pork and meatloaf and a little a couple of bones for the dog soup time they got oxtails beef shanks pork hocks fresh and smoked pork neck bones also a new brat beer cheese brat this in addition to the ham the bacon the steaks the burgers you know it Grunhofer's has become the garage logic meat capital of the world. Uh, just a wonderful, wonderful place. GLers meet each other there and then uh, see who can eat the jerky fast enough before they get out to their car and go home. <laughs> right. Grunhofer's Old Fashioned Meat at the north end of Hugo in uh, uh, on Highway 61. I know exactly where that yeah, is. Yeah. You can't miss it. It's got the big GL red sign out front. 100%. Yeah. And so, you know where you go buy those toothpicks? Fratelloni's Ace Hardware and Garden Stores. They sell all sorts of grilling, um, great grilling items for you to make the perfect Grunhofer's Bratwurst. Kenny? Joe will know in two hours, 21 minutes, at 44, 43, 42. We got a clock going for this. Yes. It's It's like the doomsday clock. It's like the doomsday clock. Doomsday clock. You ain't kidding. Hey, uh, if you are looking for maybe some of the um, old Garage Logic podcasts that you may have missed because you were on vacation or just weren't here, you should never miss a podcast because we had the app on your phone 
PodMN. Subscribe to that on all podcasts you'd like to listen to. The Fret Club, Garage Logic, Table Talk, all Minnesota podcasts. Or if you need more information on your computer, go to PodMN.com.